This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Weather Lounge podcast made possible by Crew Tracker Software. I'm meteorologist Mike Mahalik with Weatherworks, and it's time to talk about the winter outlook for 2022-2023. With me today to help discuss this topic, it's a hot topic, or should I say cold topic, really, um, is senior meteorologist Ken Elliott. Hi there, Ken. Hello, Mike. (laughs) So... Man, Ken, I feel like over the course of the years that we've both been working at this company, that we've been working on a winter outlook almost every year. Uh, yeah, I think the only one I personally didn't work on was the very first winter I was here Yeah, back in 2006, 2007. Um, ever since then, at some level, you know, we've, we've, yeah. we've had, we've, 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 we've been, we've been knees deep in it to, to <laughs> say the least. I gotta at say, I level. mean, I've been here for 14 years, Ken. I mean, beginning year number 17. Wow. Making me look old a little bit. Well, I got great too. Don't worry. Well, however, I came into it a little bit later than most you people. You did, but no, you, you, so. you, you're, you're the same age, Mike. Let's be honest. <laughs> the same age. We're close enough. That is true. It just felt weird when I first started because uh, I was older than some of the other guys here. Um, and it was just strange. But um, hey, it all worked out in the end. I've been here over 14 years. So, um, But anyway, yeah, we've always been working on the winter forecast and, uh, you know, I think it's time that we actually talked about it on a podcast together. I think it's a good time. It does seem very appropriate, you know, especially, you know, because obviously when we first started this, podcasts weren't even a thing. But hey, here we are. Um, We're a little bit closer in now. So why not? Let's just get into it soon. All right. Well, before we start talking about the winter outlook and what went into it all, we're going to take just a quick break. So stay with us, everybody. Since 2004, Crew Tracker Software has enabled snow and ice management companies to save time, money, and resources with their comprehensive digital services platform. All the information needed to plan your operations and make business decisions is current and always available. Along with QuickBooks, Crew Tracker Software provides seamless integration with WeatherWorks certified snowfall totals. Visit CrewTracker.com to rock your game and learn how Crew Tracker Software makes managing snow and ice simple. Take advantage of the SIMA Show Special $500 discount and White Glove Startup Service Offer. Welcome back to the Weather Lounge. Once again, I'm meteorologist Mike Mahalik here with Ken Elliott, and it's time to discuss that all-important winter outlook. Ken, why don't you start us off here? Go over what we're seeing in general for the upcoming season. I think that's the best place to start. Sure. I think so too. Um, I think, and I think the, the generalities are, think about a big area of warm, high pressure over the West Coast and at times into Alaska mm-hmm. and another one of those re- relatively warm ridges out over Greenland, a very cold pocket of air in between, mostly in Canada, over mm-hmm. central Canada, but occasionally dipping down and actually frequently dipping down into the upper plains and Great Lakes, um, a little bit less frequently the further south and east you go. Right. That'll be the pattern that dominates. Yeah. And and if, you know, 
on the news, a lot of times people see things about the jet stream pattern. So basically describe how that jet stream is going to dip down for us here. Sure. The all important, yeah, the all important <laughs> jet stream will be the polar jet stream, which is the one that kind of, it varies more year to year. Sometimes I kind of chuckle when we put the subtropical jet stream on our maps, <laughs> which we always do because it's generally in the same-ish spot. You know, it varies a little bit, but yeah. I think year to year, it's probably not moving much more than 100 or, or 150 miles. But the polar jet stream, which brings us the sources of cold air for our winter, that looks like it comes kind of drops down out of Alaska, kind of goes along like, you know, the west coast of uh, Canada for a bit, kind of cuts then across the Rockies. How far south it gets will be variable at times, but I think if you average it out over the entire winter, we're probably someplace Tennessee Valley-ish moving across the Appalachians, then probably somewhere off the Carolinas and further out to sea. So that that pattern in and itself is actually favorable for getting cold air down out of Canada. Yeah, I think it's just important that this is the overall pattern that we're expecting. It's not going to be like that every single day or else we'd be thinking about, well, we got a lot of cold and snow going on this year. We also wouldn't have jobs, Mike, because that means the weather would be in a steady state. That's true. So we really don't Very want- predictable. Exactly. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, there's going to be variation to that. And there's going to be times when this pattern is more favored than others uh, as we go through this season. Yeah, sure. There's going to be times, I think especially mid-season, so later January into February, where it becomes a little bit less favorable for, for some of that cold to get down, especially once we start getting east of the Appalachians, mm-hmm. um, yeah, down towards the I-95 corridor, where it's a little bit more variable and maybe a little bit warmer. But yeah, just like you said, it's not going to be a, a daily thing where you can kind of, kind of set your watch by it on, you know, January 6th, for example, that that pattern will be, I must be willing to bet that on that particular day, it's not going to be like that just because <laughs> the, the odds of any particular map on one particular day is obviously pretty small. Sure. So we talked about the pattern. We talked about where those jet streams are setting up, but where exactly is the cold weather going to be most prevalent? And what about the snow too? Because that's what everybody wants to know. Sure. Where is that snow belt going to be? Sure. I think, and I think the cold air and snow belts are pretty, uh, pretty much co-located this year. Sometimes they can be a little bit, a little bit, a um, little bit displaced depending upon the kind of pattern. But I think the coldest and most frequently cold air is going to be upper plains, upper Great Lakes, um, maybe down to say just, to, just kind of you know some say from a line from like Detroit to Milwaukee on up into the Dakotas, kind of draw that kind of general general area in your head from the United States perspective. That's where the air is going to be most uh, frequently cold. And we're, honestly, we're already starting to see a couple of signs of that in, in, in the, around here. So cold air is kind of, that's kind of like a maybe a bit, a bit of a foreshadowing as to where the season goes. Um, further south, I think it's going to be fairly cold, but maybe not just quite as prevalent, you know, over the course of the, of, over the, of the winter season. I think it'll average cold, say another two to 300 miles south of that. So encapsulating most of the Midwest, honestly, the rest of the plains um, and upstate New York and uh, up to New England to average, again, averages cold. Yeah. Um, and then the further south you go from there, we get into the transition zone. And that's, that's where, that's what gives us forecasters. Um, <laughs> it's it just, it's just, it's, it's not fun now. Cause we, 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 we have lots of pain when we draw these lines on maps <laughs> and um, you know, it's and not it's, that painful, but I, I know what you mean. Yes, it, it, and, and it's it's always you know, and 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 this is like a team effort. So we try to get as many hands right. involved in, and you know, obviously there's differing opinions, and and at some level, you know, we 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 take a consensus of the forecasters' thought too, and that's kind of how we came up with the idea. And that next transition zone, which kind of 
kind of follows the underside of the jet stream, if you will, from the Pacific Northwest across the plains, up through like the Southern Ohio Valley and into like say central New England, that's where temperatures are gonna be variable. And um, I think, you know, swings, very notable. Um, I'd lean colder generally early, a little milder late, but it will be colder at points late too, I have no doubt. Yeah. It, that's going to be a tough area. I mean, this is, might be part of the gripe that you were thinking about. You know, it, it's just going to be a battle zone um, between the warm and cold air, warm air to the south, cold air to the north, and l- mixed events might be a problem in that region. It, it, it's going to be a problem. It, it, there, there's no <laughs> might about it. The, the, that Those areas, especially the Ohio and Tennessee valleys, they just find ways to mix in otherwise you know, inhospitable patterns for mixing. So right. we've got a pattern where we've got warm air kind of trying to bubble up at times and cold air coming down. Mm-hmm. That just, it just, it just screams mixed precipitation. And I actually wonder if there's maybe more freezing rain and sleet than normal this year. And for some of these areas, they get a good amount of it anyway. So that's certainly a challenge ahead. And you can kind of take that same general conversation, you know, through their east, northeastward across the big, at least the southern tier of the, the big cities of the northeast, right. D.C., uh, even Philadelphia to a lesser extent. I could see a lot of mixes this year, um, challenging storms with, with with varying temperatures. And honestly, this is the kind of thing where I could see a storm kind of maybe starting uh, coldish with snow, go into a mix, as the, then go into rain. But then right behind that rain is probably another reinforcing shot of cold air coming right. out of the plains. So that's kind of like the cutters. worst of all worlds. Yeah, cutters, exactly. Yeah. Where you, you kind of start like, okay, we're going to snow well. And then, you know, three, four, five, six hours in, you're like, well, this ain't snow anymore. And and getting all kinds of angst as you're in that position, obviously. Yeah. When we talk about cutters, we're talking about uh, storms that will cut further inland rather than on the coastline of the Northeast. So something that might ride up the Appalachians per se, rather than off the coast. Those are the situations where you do get that changeover many times. It's, I mean, if you have that load track, it's hard to not get a changeover in some fashion. Unless if the air is ridiculously cold ahead of time. Yeah. It's hard to avoid. And guess what? Even if it is ridiculously cold ahead of time, it usually finds a way to at least mix over a little Still bit. Still going to mix. And you're, you're going to probably, maybe you don't get the plain rain. Maybe you just end up as freezing rain, which is yeah. probably just worse anyway. So you, right. you, you might as well just, you know, hope for the status quo. Well, yeah, because I mean, that situation is a cold air damming situation, which, you know, gets that low level cold air all dammed up against the east side of the Appalachians all the way down. So that's when you get your freezing rain potentials. Exactly. And that's, I think we'll see a lot of that mid and late winter, unfortunately. And that's, um, you know, that stuff's not fun for anybody. But maybe not so much early in winter. No, I think that's when the cold air is probably like most reliable, I, I think. You know, mm-hmm. is, is there going to be a couple of, of, of less of times where it's less cold? Sure. But I think if you want to set kind of like your your meteorological watch, so to speak, mm. by when's the when's the cold air around most most frequently and reliably, I would think early, you know, and, and you know, mm-hmm. maybe even little signs of it in very late November, but even, you know, December, January, especially early January. Yeah. I think that's when you're really looking for the 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 most reliable, yeah. most most frequent cold patterns before these cutters make more of a, of a prevalent uh, feel come later in the season. Yeah. And it's funny, right before we came into this podcast, I was talking to some of our long range team members and they were saying that things are looking to be going as planned um, into the first part of the winter here. So 
I would hope so. We're, we're, we're barely, we're barely in. So if we're, if we're jumping <laughs> well, ship too early. Well, um, no, I mean, we're definitely not jumping ship. That's for sure. Um, but it's good to see signs that things are setting up. Agreed. And, and just, just the same thing, like even in, even in a, or just a very smaller forecast realm, it, you, you know, it would be the, it would be the equivalent of the, the snow starting, you know, you know, two or three hours later than you wanted it to. So yeah. the fact that we're, we're, we're where we, we are where we thought we were a month ago or so is a good thing. It makes us feel better about our forecast, no doubt. So my thought would be with this setup, with the potential for early snows, it's always hard to say, okay, when is that big snowstorm going to happen? Sure. But if we had to choose one part of the season, I would think it'd be on the early side of this season. I would think so. I mean, I, you know, it's, and, and it kind of feels weird because we haven't had yeah. like cold weather prevalent early. early. Yeah. I mean, we've had a couple of brief intrusions. Well, we did have in 2020, we had that big storm that was cutting further inland where Binghamton got like 40 oh, inches yeah. of snow. That seems like so long ago now, but yes, you're right. Um, and that was in December. That was, yeah. So, you know. That and, was about and, all that happened in December, well, I think. That <laughs> minor, minor details. <laughs> Um, and that, and that, that just goes to show you too, that even if the pattern's otherwise not helpful, it really, it, and I know we, we kind of hear it, you know, uh, with big snowstorms, we hear it with hurricanes all the time. It really is true though. It really does take just one storm or one anomaly in an otherwise, you know, not good setup to really get something out of that. All right. Well, I think that pretty much recaps how, what we're thinking in general across uh, the area. But I think one of the main things that we should go over is, okay, well, how do we even come up? with with these type of forecasts anyway because it's it's a hard thing to do to to try to project out months in advance yeah i mean just within a few hours to a few days it's hard enough right right and, and obviously and obviously there's different you know you know tolerances to what constitutes a good forecast 12 hours 24 hours 48 hours versus you know days weeks and months but yeah it's 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 kind of um and this is this is something that we really as meteorologists and i think you would speak to this too and i know it's changing a little bit now but um we really didn't really weren't taught that that much along the way in, in school we were taught like bits and pieces along the way but kind of putting it together has kind of evolved and that's because I, we're learning more like on a year-by-year -year basis i mean some of the some of the things that we were looking at in this forecast i can I can spread a Bible on that. We really weren't looking at too much when we first started this, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Right. And I mean, I remember taking a, a climatology class when I was at Penn State. And, you know, that's where you learned about some of that stuff. You learned about the El Nino and the, and the, the global oscillations and, and stuff like that. Um, and that's what you're really leaning on for these seasonal forecasts. Yes, and, and the, the problem I think is 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 there, and this is this is one of the kind of like the 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 good and the bad of how things evolve as thing as as technology and understandings get better. Um, we, it, it, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, we were very simplistic on it. Is it an El Nino? Is it a La Nina? Or is it neutral? Um, just that by itself really doesn't cut it anymore. <laughs> what kind yeah. of El Nino is this? Um, yeah, is it or is it? Is it the first El Nino? Is it a second like El Nino? This year, for example, this is the now the third uh, third returning of La Nina. Right. Um, and um, a little bit of a spoiler here. There's not much of a playbook to go back on on that. <laughs> yeah, not too many years that yeah. go and uh, um, so, follow that pattern. Yeah. So, and again, if, taking a, an older school perspective of this, we would have been much more much more you know uh, wide view of this. But we're like, well, this 
you know, we can't necessarily rely as much upon this La Nina because, well, it was the first one after a string of many El Ninos, for example. So, yes, it's 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 kind of this this hand waving. Okay, we know we've got a we know we got a La Nina coming. Yes. What kind of La Nina is it? And oh yeah, okay, we think we know what kind of La Nina it is and how it's going to cha- how it's going to evolve. Which, by the way, because. El Nino and La Nina is not fixed. It's changing. Even within a La Nina winter, these things, uh, El Nino or La Nina, generally peak and strengthen the fall, in the late fall or early winter, and then you usually start to relax. Well, is that going to actually happen in that particular year? Uh, is it going to strengthen? You know, you know, these are things that we think we know the answers to. We hope we know the answers to, but they're not fixed. And then as if that's not uh, enough to be considered concerned about just on that one entity. Well, what else is going on in the atmosphere? Yeah. Um, because, um, you know, there's plenty of other things going on, on, on large scales. Like, um, I know you've probably heard about the, the MJO or the, the Madden Julian o- oscillation sure. that that's always lurking in the background. Yeah. Basically a bunch of convection and thunderstorms over the equatorial Pacific. Exactly. And that was when, uh, I, I was actually talking with someone about this in our office the other day, um, back in the day when I was in college, um, one of my uh, one of my uh, good buddies wanted to do a paper on the MJO, and the professor, uh, Lance Bozart, top notch in the field, and he's since retired. Uh, good for him. Um, he actually dissuaded my friend from doing a paper on that because at the time it was so not well understood mm. that it was just not a good idea for for an undergraduate research paper. Um, so that just shows you how far we've come in, in the fact that we're, you know, we're actually able to use these sorts of things right. in operational sense. Um, and really in the grand scheme of things, not all that long ago. So what's interesting too, is that you talked about the MGO and you talked about El Nino and what's going on there. These are all Pacific, um, uh, Pacific, uh, ah, geez, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm messing that up. Pacific, um, Phenomena. Factors, yeah, sure. Phenomena, there you go. That's what the word I was looking for. So it's a big ocean out there, and those can really affect what the global patterns do. So that's why we concentrate so much uh, about what's the Pacific waters doing? What are those sea surface temperatures like? What are the positions of those sea surface temperatures? Positions because, are as important as anything, as we've learned. <laughs> right. Um, so uh, that's the thing. You can have a La Nina, but that might be based more towards South America. And that could have a different effect than, you know, a La Nina that is, is centered in the central Pacific. Gonna or is going to move? Is the, is the water colder below the surface all or these, at the surface? All these things are fluid. Um, same thing with the MJO. Those areas of thunderstorms and convection, they move across the, the equatorial Pacific. They don't just stay in the Philippines. And they mean different things. If it did, thing. it'd be nice. And they mean different <laughs> things at different times. Yes, that's you know, true. You know, early in the season, you know, what might be favorable late in the season aren't the same thing. So Exactly. Um, and, and then, oh yeah, by the way, then you get conflicting signals too. Well, <laughs> the Pacific Ocean might look good for cold and snow in the United States. Yeah. The Atlantic Ocean might not look it as good. Well, look what, great. what do you do with that? Um, in general, the Pacific Ocean dominates, but not always. Right. So, you know, it's um, it's it's a whole bunch of factors. And, and is what we try to do is try to kind of put the best the best composite forward that we can right. based upon where we think things are and where the, we think they're going. Right. So... Just like Ken said, we put together all these global oscillations, all the sea surface temperatures, and then we start looking at the the past. Yes. We try to match that up with what has happened before and then project 
Well, if it happened like this before, you know, you can say the weather has a memory kind of, but um, that's like a loose type of explanation. But if it's happened the same way in the past, then maybe it'll happen the same way in the future. If the same sort of patterns are in place, if the same sea surface temperatures are in place, um, it could go down that way. Um, but like you said before, we call these analog seasons, by the way. Um, but like you said before, if, you know, it's very fluid. and It, and it is fluid. And that's, and that's why you don't look for just one or two analogs, yeah. by the way. And there's not too many of the ones, like like you said before, of the three La Ninas in a row. Exactly. Um, to work off of. Plus, a lot of these events happened, you know, maybe way back in the, the 50s, 60s, 80s that sort of thing. Well, you know, the climate has changed somewhat since then. Um, we, we know that. So yeah, you don't, at this point, you really don't want to use anything before 2000 unless you have like a really good reason to. Um, and, and even, and honestly, the data collection methods have changed a little bit anyway. So it, it, just st sticking to the more recent past is always ideal anyhow. Um, but yeah, and, and to that end there, because of all these factors and because there's, there's really no such thing as a perfect analog. Um, and it's kind of like the, the unicorn of long range forecasting. Yes, we, analogs are one of the most basic and important tools that we have. Yes, there's forecast modeling out there, but it's, um, it, it can be very testy and, and, and kind of volatile. You know, you can look at one model one day and then the same model a couple of days later and it looks kind of different. And you're like, well, what do you believe? And it might go back and forth. So, you know, this is where you kind of use the models actually probably you know, less than you would on a, on a, like a, a, a day to day kind of forecast. I mean, there is stuff out there like the CFS that tries to do seasonal predictions and anomalies and things like that, but they have to be used very carefully because it's going to change just like Ken said. And, you know, the other thing we use modeling for is to kind of project, well, what is that La Nina going to do? You know, let's let's run an ensemble on that. Let's see how many uh, different solutions we get out of. And those are 40. pretty good. They're they're pretty good. You know, and, and again, is it going to be perfect all the time? No, um, but that's like an accepted level of risk that we go and make in these forecasts. And you know, we we just kind of try to build the best consensus. And if you're going to use models, like you said, that's how you want to do it. Right. If if you want to look at you know United States you know air temperature anomalies forecasts, you know use with extreme caution. But the models they can do a pretty good job of of, of sensing what you know what the ocean temperatures look like in the ocean to kind of to figure out what the El Nino La Nina situation is. And you can even glean something about how they they how they feel the overall wind jet structures might be, for example. But you want to use them at kind of like these these kind of wide view things. If you if you try to hone in too much based upon just one model simulation, um, it's probably going to be a, a big struggle. Yeah. I mean, you use the same concept, just forecasting normal five-day uh, weather patterns. I mean, you know, you're looking at several different model runs to kind of get an idea of all the solutions on the table. Exactly. And, and, and as importantly too, and, and probably even more importantly in long range forecasting as compared to short and near term is you look for the trends, you know, you know, maybe, maybe there's some, some, you know, random bad run in there, but if you're looking at one particular model of, of, and we'll just say of, you know, of ENSO, El Nino, La Nina, and you know, six of eight runs you look at show one thing. Well, you maybe say those six are probably onto something, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and you, you can 
you kind of almost get, drive yourself crazy doing that kind of thing because you want to check these things as they come out and and their their update cycles can be a little bit more annoying to keep track of as opposed to the regular models which come out every six hours. You can set your watches by them. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's you, you you use the same general like model use principles, I would say, in the yeah. long range. You just got to use a little bit more care and, and certainly look big picture, not small picture. Right. Okay. So we went through basically what we look at to come up with seasonal forecasts. So we come up with those analog years. It might be a set of six to 10 years. So what we did is that we took those analog years and we started averaging um, what happened in those years as far as seasonal totals and, and, and things like that. And we started running some data and analyst analytics on it, um, just to see what we can kind of glean for some of the major cities from the Northeast through, uh, Chicago and the Midwest cities. So, so on average, if we look at seasonal snowfall, um, so we're, we're averaging basically all the similar seasons um, for the Northeast and getting like a composite average of, of those. Anal- it's pretty, we're taking an average of the analogs, right. which is kind of a weird concept, but that's what we're doing. We're, we're not taking the 30-year average. Yeah. We're taking the average of the, of the years we picked that we think look like this winter. Yes, exactly. Thank you for clarifying that, uh, uh, Ken. And then we compared that to the 30-year normal because we want to see how that matched up. Um, so... What we're seeing is that a lot of the analog averages are kind of close to the 30-year normal uh, from the Northeast and in through uh, the Midwest. In the Midwest, they might be a little bit more than normal, a little bit above normal. But I think one of the key takeaways that we found from looking at these analog years is that there's a lot of spread um, between what the maximum values are and what the minimum values are. And at, at some level, that's not really surprising either. No. When, when we're thinking about a volatile pattern with, with temperature swings, we would expect to see some years have more hits exactly. and a couple of years have relatively fewer hits. So that, so that kind of, you know, and, and that's kind of where we, that's yeah. how the forecast is made. Literally, we're like, okay, we have these, we have this spread that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so what does that mean? And that spread generally means volatility. Right. Um, and that's, that's, that was crux of the forecast, like part A, essentially. Right. So we're seeing mostly the largest spread in, in these maximum minimums are in New England around Boston. For example, Boston's spread between the maximum and minimum is around 45 inches. And that's a seasonal that's a seasonal average. Yeah. So that is a, a big swing. I think the, the top end is about 65 and the low end here is uh, under 20. Um, so that's, that's a pretty big uh, spread. But if you head down to the mid-Atlantic, so like Baltimore, we're only talking about a 17-inch spread. But when you think about it, Baltimore doesn't see as much snow. Right. So their spread as a place like Boston. Be, it should theoretically be less because just right. in, you know, they can have their anomalies are percentage-wise bigger, obviously, because their averages are a little lower. But yeah, we would expect to see less spread. Um, if we saw a lot of spread in Baltimore, that would be the indication for me of like big time coastals. Because if, right. if you had like, you'd have a couple of low years, sure. But if you had like a 2009-10 in there, for example, you would have some excessive volatility. 
So in general, the analog averages that we looked at are, are showing that, hey, you know, it's about normal uh, into southern New England. It's a little bit less than normal uh, snowfall going into the mid-Atlantic. But if we head out to the Midwest, we have a little different type story to, to kind of paint a picture for you where we're having better snowfall, or, or I should say, um, a little bit above average snowfall as we head out towards Chicago and up towards Detroit and around the Great Lakes, which is good because that matches up with what we're thinking for the general forecast. Exactly. And, and in general, the further, the, the, I shouldn't say the further west you go in the United States, the central part of the U.S. in general yeah. is, is the snowfall forecasts have less volatility just because temperatures are a little bit more stable out there. Yeah. So the fact that we see that we see you know, more, more snow than average over, and not just at one location that was pretty uniform in these areas that that's gives us some confidence that, you know, uh, you know, long range forecasting confidence can be kind of sometimes a little questionable, but this gives us good confidence here that we're seeing this in, in not just one location across multiple locations in areas where there, where snow is generally more consistent anyway. So these are two big kind of big things that get our attention. And the other thing that makes gives us a little bit more confidence about more snow is that if we look at Chicago, the, the spread out there between the maximum and minimum wasn't as great exactly. as what we saw in the Northeast uh, along the I-95 corridor. Now, we see that change, though, as you get towards I-70 uh, in the Ohio Valley and south of there where that spread starts getting larger and that starts leaning towards, oh, well, maybe they are getting some more mixed events going on and, there. And that, like we talked about earlier, that's the spot that's just, that it's just climatologically favored anyway. Right. But, but given, given that it's like kind of like, you know, very, very evident in the data, it's hard to ignore. Right. So, yeah, so that's what we're seeing out in the Midwest. But if we move along, we did a lot more analytics, analytics here. Um, seems like I can't talk today. Uh, I don't know why that is. I'm messing up analytics and I'm saying all kinds of weird stuff. Um, but, um, what we did look at also is, okay, since we have all these analog years, let's take a look at the measurable snow events. How many measurable snow events do these places see? So right off the bat, the analog average for most of these areas is showing near to slightly above normal measurable snow days in the Midwest and into uh, New England and especially Northern New England, and maybe slightly below normal measurable days along I-95 and into the Mid-Atlantic, which again, fits with the forecast. Fits with the and, forecast. And, and Q, you said there is slightly, these are pretty darn close to normal. Yeah, here. they I mean, are. We're, we're kind of splitting hairs here. We're talking, you know, one to three off the average, and and once you start getting into places that snow a lot, the average numbers of of days of measurable snowfall is well into the twenties. So we're talking about relatively small uh, small amounts of variation here, which is which again just kind of gives a little more confidence to the forecast. So we looked at measurable events, and then we wanted to look at the two inch events because we wanted to try to figure out okay. What type of significant events are we dealing with? Um, what type of plowable events are we dealing with for a lot of our clients? Because a lot of them deal with snow and ice through the wintertime. Um, so what we're seeing is near to slightly below normal two-inch events uh, shown across the mid-Atlantic and closer to the coast. And above normal two-inch plus events are well inland, uh, talking away from the 95 corridor. We're talking, um, you know, out into upstate New York, central Pennsylvania, 
uh, out towards the Great Lakes, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and that's pretty much fitting well too. Okay. We still, still are seeing maybe about normal measurable events, but the big events are further inland. So that again, kind of adds to that. Okay. Maybe we're seeing more that's mixed that events, cold air is going to be yep. keeping that, uh, snow amount down a little bit. Um, and then as we work into the great lakes, we get our confidence again, where the analog average, for example, Detroit is looking at maybe nine two-inch plus events as opposed to eight, which is the 10-year average. So we're seeing that, okay, yep, it does look like we're seeing that same trend that we saw before. And even and even here too, the, the difference between the analogs and the averages really aren't that great. I would have expected, I personally would have expected a little bit more than that, yeah. but which again leads, and so this kind of gives the idea that, you know, even if some of these areas don't see, a, a, you know, lots of big, big storms, and by big, big, I mean talking like double digit kind of stuff here, yeah. that th the amount of work and effort being put out and, and, and just general snowy days really probably won't be that much different than usual. Yeah. So, you know, even if you might end up, a, you know, a little bit on the, the lower end of average, it, I don't think it's going to be a quiet season in that respect. So it's like that kind of kind of gives us like this weird, weird, yeah. you know, kind of dichotomy here. <laughs> right. So we're talking about a roughly same number of, of days with snowfall, um, both in terms of lighter amounts and two inch plus or plowable amounts. Um, so that kind of leads us to think, well, okay, mixed events and also maybe just slightly drier events, maybe a few less big time coastals than we would ordinarily see. And that could be a case too. I mean, especially if you're working with a La Nina, usually that storm track is a little bit further inland. You get a, a wetter area. Right. Inland cutters uh, tend not it. to be prolific snowmakers. Right. And we have those uh, higher moisture content areas going through a lot of the Ohio Valley into the Great Lakes. Um, so... We looked at snow events a little bit, tried to glean if that works with our forecast, and then we took a look, uh, okay, if we looked at snow events, let's go to temperatures. Let's see what we have there. So again, we took our similar years, we compared those to the 30-year average to see um, you know, what these temperatures are going to be like. So in the Northeast, we're seeing near to below normal for early season. Uh, we're seeing that happen. Um, and we're seeing that moderating late in the season, which is exactly what we were trying to think about. So it, these things kind of went hand in hand. We looked at the animal logs. We looked at what they showed us. We started generating our forecast. We modified that forecast. Um, but it's nice to see the support coming um, from those analog years and actually looking at that specific data. And because and we, we did this with with coming with an open mind. We didn't know what we were going to find. Right. Um, and, and we were probably more astute about this this year than we've probably been in, certainly in the last five years that I can think about. Right. And, um, you know, there's there's you can't mistake the 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 cold leanings of the early season. Right. Um, now, granted, we were kind of skeptical of that because, well, we just haven't seen sustained cold early in a while. Right. Um, but it just kept on coming up again and again and again. Yeah. So we, we, we incorporated that heavily into the forecast. And then when you headed out to the Midwest, you started to see that tail off. So you're seeing that, okay, the early cold late warmth signal was kind of seen in Ohio um, through Columbus, through uh, Cincinnati. But more through muted than it was on the East Coast, by the way. Right. But as we head further west towards Indianapolis, towards Chicago, up into Milwaukee and Detroit and Grand Rapids, 
that's where we're seeing more prolonged cold air. Exactly. And that signal is showing up through the analogs that, okay, you have a better chance to see below normal temperatures yeah. there. And just to put out a couple numbers, for example, in Chicago in February, so 56% of those analog winters had below normal temperatures. And then another 33 had normal. That's a lot in the, in the normal to below normal camp. Whereas on the East Coast, that below normal is only 22% in Philadelphia. Where, and, and the normal is only 11%. So that's almost two thirds of the winters that are go, coming in above normal in February. So, you know, that's, 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 that's hard to, you know, we can't ignore that making the yeah. forecast. And especially when we see that in multiple cities. So that's kind of what gave us the, 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 the confidence to go with the temperature breakdown the way we did. It wasn't Chicago and, and Philly are just a couple of examples, but we saw it elsewhere too. So with these things in mind, it's, that's, that's where we, we had to go with it. And, and for what it's worth, you know, the, the, the computer models that do this kind of thing still kind of suggest this. So we, we, we still feel about as good as we did about with it, you know, several, several weeks ago when we put out the forecast for the first time. Yeah. So it's interesting, Ken, we looked at the, the overall temperatures, the monthly temperatures, stuff like that, but we even tried to push the envelope a little bit more and we tried to look at, okay, what are like cold days? Like what are an, what's an example of a cold day? Well, probably a cold day would be less than or equal to 32 degrees for a high, right? That's just cold. And and I think I think folks, you know, that probably applies just as much um, in say Washington DC as it does in, in Chicago. I know Chicago's average high right. sometimes in the middle of the winter is only a couple of degrees above freezing, but still, if it's below freezing, it's cold. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So what was interesting though, this was really interesting and, and, and we didn't know which way to kind of take it at first, um, but the analog seasons for the most part are either near or slightly above the number of less than 32 degree high days or very cold days for the season compared to the 30 year average. So that's quite interesting to see. You wouldn't have expected that necessarily. Right. Um, Cause you would, you'd think, okay, well, if part of the winter ends up being kind of mild, you know, what gives kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, where are you getting these uh, we, cold days? Exactly. So there's a couple of schools of thought there. One of them is just that it's going to be cold as can be for that cold part of the winter, which is a which is a, which is is a possibility. That's where my mind went. Right. But then it also could mean, well, you know, kind of like what we alluded to before, the average pattern is just that, the average pattern. Right. There will be times when it will be cold in February. And oh yeah, by the way, February is a climatologically cold month. So even when it's kind of mild, it's not exactly, you know, shorts and t-shirt weather. Yeah. Um, so there still will be cold days along the way. Um, so you, sure, a couple of more will probably be earlier in this season and later in the season, but they're there. And you know, even last year, which kind of averaged out warm as has had most of our winters, honestly, for the yeah. past however many it's been, uh, it was cold in January. It was really cold. So, um, you know, this the no matter what might be going on elsewise with the, the overall weather patterns or the climate, it still can get cold, and you know all of our analogs were of relatively recent, uh, of uh, recent vintage, so to speak. So this 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 just tells us that when it's cold, it's going to be cold. Yeah. And and again, this is kind of across the board. It's right. not it's not just in the areas that you expect it to be cold. Mm -hmm. um, Washington D.C. 
had uh, was it one or two more average days in the in the analogs that were below freezing. That yeah. now, granted, their numbers are lower than some place further north and west, but still, it's there. It's it's yeah. I mean, even places like Richmond and Atlantic City, uh, Richmond, Virginia, Atlantic City, New Jersey. I mean, they're around average um, for the number of less than thirty two degree days. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, there's still some cold air that's going to be running around. Maybe that lends to more, you know, refreeze potentials sure. if we have rainstorms and then we get a crash of cold behind it. I mean, we could see that happening, especially with the and, swings. And that's a favorite. That's a favorite. That's a favorite action when you have a pattern like this, no doubt. You know, and that's almost regardless of what kind of storm you have. Like you said, is it a, a snowy one or a more mixy, or even if it's just plain rain? Um, you know, typically once systems kind of clear out, there's cold air that follows, and that. That's the case for any winter, right? honestly. Well, I mean, I think that pretty much does it through our analog analysis. I mean, we went through a lot of different uh, takeaways that we had. I think what we should do now is, for the listeners out there, maybe we'll just try to break down a little bit of what we think the monthly setups will go. Where where will these transitions from cold happen to warm or or will there be any late cold or anything like that? So let's take us let's take it through here, Ken. Let's let's see sure. what we got. So uh through the end of December, we're, we're definitely be trending colder. No, I mean and and not even just because it's just getting it's getting to be that time of the year. I mean we're, we should be December looks largely to be below normal for a good portion of, of the of the northeast and just northern tier of, of the country in general. So I I feel that that's that's pretty much a a, a, a as much as a given as it can be. Um, I am slightly worried though that it's been just so warm lately. I know we've got plenty of signs of cold air that that uh, of uh, over the last week or so, but you know we're in the widespread seventies for you know our first week of November. And um, I, I'm not going to lie, I was getting kind of nervous. Say November fifth, sixth, seventh. That <laughs> this cold air's coming, right? Um, and, and and we still we still feel good about it. But it it was just a, you know you want to see things that make you feel good about your forecast. And that you know seeing anomalous warmth the first week of, of the the beginning of our winter forecast yeah. period wasn't exactly comforting. But I think we turn <laughs> that around. It turns colder. Um, and with that, I, th I think snowfall is, is not that far behind. And I mean, if there's going to be any time that we get these all snow events, I mean, it sounds weird to say, but it, it looks like it's going to be late November into December. Exactly. And, and you know, I think... Let's not leave January out here, Mike, because of we, we don't know exactly when this transition is going to happen in January. I would I would bank on like mid month or maybe slightly past that. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it's the coldest time of the year anyway. So even if it's even if it's quote warm, it's still going to be cold. Mm -hmm. And you know, a, another week or two uh, uh, stuck in a colder pattern could. That that's that's where some of that volatility comes in in some of the analogs. I think you know how how quick, how quickly does that flip happen? Yeah, I mean. I'm just trying to give people some hope for a white Christmas. That's all. <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I, I hear but you. But I think and, there is some this year. And, and honestly, this is probably the best chance we've had in a while. I there's think no so doubt. too. I mean, there's no doubt. Um, if um, you know, now it's it's obviously hard to get snow to stick around on the ground in some of these places. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, you got the cold. You got an active enough pattern. Um, yeah, that, give it a shot. Yeah, and and again, I don't I don't think we're looking at any stretch here, especially early where we're going. You know, yeah, 10, 14, 15 days without any kind of snow. So, it a lot of times it takes luck. I think we don't need as much luck as we ordinarily would have had uh, needed in other years recently. So into January, we are expecting, like you said, some of that cold bleeding in, some of those snowstorms still. Yep. Um, but once we head later in the month and we start heading into February. 
that's when we're seeing some of this mild air start to bubble up from the southeast a little bit, which is starting to indicate what you typically see with a La Nina pattern. Yeah, and that's that's like the hallmark of the La Nina, honestly. Um, bonus tip, it might be a really good year for, for an early spring break down in Florida. Mm. That's where that warm air is coming from. So it, it could be really yeah, nice a little, little bit sooner than sooner than you'd expect down, down there this year. But yeah, that warm air coming up. Um, however, the overall pattern, it's not changing. It's really just shifting. Right. So, you know, we're still going to have storm systems coming by. That's where we're going to be more of the mixed zones. So, so places that are prone to mix will likely do so. Um, places that are a little bit more fringy, like, you know, coastal Carolinas up to Virginia and the Delmarva, they're going to struggle more, no doubt. Um, but it, honestly, even though temperatures might average out um, mild the very end of the end of January and February, um, you know, from a winter impact standpoint, it might be just as bad for a while until mm. these mixed events, because, you know, two, three, four, five, six inches of snow is it's, you know, it, it's snow, but you start, you know, having, having those snow amounts and putting a, a nice, you know, crusting of sleet on top of it just makes it all the I'm more I'm sure annoying. I could speak for all the snow and ice professionals out there that uh, they'd rather just have all snow and, and not Us all. Too. <laughs> Us too. Us yeah. too. I mean, from a forecaster standpoint, yep. absolutely. The fewer variables, the better. And, yeah, and I mean, I don't need to worry about, well, how much snow and then how much sleet and then, well, what about the freezing rain? Are we getting a coating? Are we getting a tenth? Exactly. Getting a quarter inch? Um, and, and I think these questions will become more prevalent during this time because, again, the, the, the number of systems going by really is not going to change. Right. It's just a matter of the thermal profiles as these things go past. It is interesting to see how that dry signal works out, too, as you head further south um, into uh, Virginia and the Delmarva and We'll have to see how that all plays into things too. Um, but I do think, um, like Ken said, I think the mixing is going to be uh, more prevalent then. Now, Ken, in the recent years, we've seen a lot of cold air outbreaks late in the season. It's getting into March. It's getting into April. We're all thinking, hey, let's get to spring already. Everybody wants to switch to their green season. Um, you know, let's get those spring cleanups. Sure. But it hasn't worked out that way for the last several years, I feel. Yeah, probably going back to what was that year with the, like the four nor'easters? That 2018. 2018. Yeah. Yep. It's, probably, it's probably been so 2017 might have been like the last, you know, normalish spring. And <laughs> that even probably had something happen yeah. in, in like, you know, mid March or something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think there still will be a few cold shots around, especially, you know, certainly the cold air is not completely vacating in, in the Midwest and Plains. So, you know, the further west you go, it'll still be plenty cold. But the I-95 corridor, I th it's going to be tough to get like sustained cold. Um, I think there could be one of those, you know, uh, flukish random late season cold shots, but I don't see the kind of staying power. Um, in, in the overall pattern and, and, um, it's just, she's not, she's not favored this year. Um, certainly New England's a different story cause it's still plenty cold up there, you know, versus average wise. So, you know, once you start getting, uh, the further North from latitude, pretty cold, pretty cold airs up there, even if it is mild ish, so to speak. So, um, you know, it's not going to be a winter cancel come March 5th, say, you know, in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, but it very well could be once you start getting into places like South Jersey or, you know, further south into the mid-Atlantic. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I'd, I'd welcome a normal arrival of spring. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's been far <laughs> too long. And because and it just it's, it always seems like one of these things where you, spring is so fleeting 
And then all of a sudden, and then, then and when you do have what would ordinarily be nice spring weather, you get a couple of rainy, clammy days. Yeah. And then you get a couple of nice days in May. The next thing you know, it's 90 and humid, June 10th or something. Well, I like this forecast. <laughs> I put my stamp on it. <laughs> this, is, so. this is great. I, I want that uh, spring to show up as it should on time uh, for one season. So let, let's go for that. Um, but one last thing that we did look at, uh, we went through our monthlies, um, to show how, um, things are going to set up. And, and obviously, uh, I don't know if Ken mentioned, but if there were to be any cold air, it's still favored to be in the Great Lakes, um, out towards Chicago, That's the case. Wisconsin. That is the case you know. the entire year. <laughs> yes. There'll be a couple of warmer, warmer periods. Very here. consistent. But yeah, if you're looking for cold, it's going to be there more often than not, no doubt. So a thing we like to do at the end of our winter forecast is we like to make uh, seasonal snowfall projections. So basically, we're taking those analogs, all that information that we talked about, we're comparing it to the 30-year median. We like to use the median because it's a little bit more representative than the 30-year average because sometimes your 30-year average can be skewed by one year that was well above normal. Um, and we don't want to look at that as well. Especially in areas that have less th less snowfall than average. You know, you, right. you go to a place like a Boston, a Chicago, Detroit, not as big of a factor. Right. But when you have someplace like Baltimore, which got untold amounts of snow in 2009, 2010. I was just going to say that. That just offsets everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they had uh, over 60 inches of snow or something like that. Which is more um, than three times average. Right. So... Uh, that one season alone throws off a 30-year average very easily. So we tend to look at the medians better. We think that gives us a better idea of what can be expected on a seasonal scale each year. So here's what we did. So we, we broke it up into three categories, into below normal, near normal, or above normal. Um, we gave percentage, percentages to what our confidence was that these cities will end up in those areas. So for example, in a place like Boston, Massachusetts, they typically see 39.1 inches for the 30 year median. We have a 45% confidence they're going to end up between 32 and 46 inches. We have a 30% confidence they're going to end up over 46 inches. And we have a 25% confidence they'll be under 32 inches. So basically, if you look at that graph there, or look at what we're saying there, we're just showing that, okay, there's a darn good chance there's going to be near normal snow. And if it goes one way or another, it might go slightly above normal. Exactly. I mean, that's 75% chance that it's normal or above. So that, that's a, kind of like another way to kind of put it in perspective. So that's still, you know, it's a... Right. a probably gonna be a snowy-ish year, you know, even if it's not, you know, going to be a, a, a gangbuster season necessarily, because, you know, Boston will mix at times too, I'm sure. But yeah, that's, that's, that's just the, the media, the below average is kind of, it's bordering on the unlikely at this point, and maybe pretty confidently uh, unlikely. Yeah. And then as we head further south, we see things start switching a little bit. So Correct. for example, Philadelphia, uh, their 30-year median is 18.6 inches. We're thinking less than 15 inches at a 30%, 15 to 23 inches, 45%, and greater than 23 inches, 
25%. So you see that we have that lean now where we're going, okay, it might end up around normal or maybe slightly below normal based on everything we looked at. Right. And the one thing that gives um, us forecasters pause when we, when we do when we do these, the further south we go, is that the ranges kind of get numerically small. So yes. for a seasonal snowfall average for Philadelphia, that's in, it's only, you know, seven, eight inches. That's a, <laughs> it's not much. So that, that's, that's basically a good storm variation. Right. So we, we, um, as much as climate, as much as the climo and, 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 and the, the actual forecast, we kind of start to also put a little just statistics behind that. Right. You, you, you can't just rule everything out. Exactly. Um, because we know how it is in the Northeast. That's you one, one big Nor'easter. Like one you big said. Nor'easter. You can get just one snow band in an otherwise two to four inch storm <laughs> that just messes yeah. that up. Uh, that harkens back to the to the Eagles game that I remember uh, several years ago where they had a lot of snow. That was probably more um, than several years ago. Now, Mike, that might have been a good like 10, but. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on. Um, dating myself again. But uh, but again, uh, that's what we're generally seeing up and down the eastern seaboard. The further uh, north and west uh, you move, like places like Albany, obviously we're uh, – going to the near to above normal side of things as you get more into the interior. Heading out west, um, we're kind of skewing the other way, especially where we expect those uh, above normal snowfalls to happen. So for example, in Chicago, the 30-year median is 30.1 inches. For less than 26 inches, we're only at 15%. At 26 to 36 inches, we're at 45% and at over 36 inches, we're at 40%. So that's a pretty healthy lean. That's a big number. Uh, towards the above normal snowfall on the year. Exactly. And and if the cold air in place, I mean, it, it makes sense, right? The, 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 the air is cold, the pattern's yeah. active. Sure. Why would we, you know, deviate too far from that? The only thing that probably kept us from going too much further yeah. is just the fact that we're, we're worried about a little bit fewer of the big moisture-laden systems. If we had right. a little bit more moisture in these systems, we probably would have tacked on another at least 15, 20% in that bigger bin and leaned more decidedly in the uh, in, in the in the above normal camp. But kind of like we did in Detroit where we decidedly leaned <laughs> exactly. for the above normal. Well, well, Detroit also had the benefit of just being more exposed to lake effect snow. And again, and and not to mention lake effect snow, but these inland cutters, they can be, they can, that might, we're kind of thinking that could be the spot. Yeah. Where and if they, you think they maximize back, it. And if you think back to the monthly uh, outlooks, the cold air stayed around the Great Lakes. It didn't give up at any point in the season. So we still are seeing that there. Uh, and with that track shifting a bit further west with a more La Nina type pattern settling in later in the season, you are still going to get those snowstorms. Exactly. You know, even normal temperatures in March will get you plenty of snow in, in, in the Great Lakes. And then um, I just wanted to mention one more thing. Again, as we head further south into the Ohio Valley, places like Cincinnati, that's where we're starting to lean a little bit on the near to below normal side because of that mixing um, that we expect to happen later in the year. Exactly. And, you know, it's going to it's going to happen there no matter what the pattern says. And it's there. It's hard. It's hard to ignore. Plus, Cincinnati, I feel like is kind of like a sneaky area that's just kind of hard to snow. They got mm. they got the Ohio Valley there, which kind of, yeah, it, it kind of I don't know if it rips apart storms per se, but certainly right. you get a little bit less moisture there than you would hope sometimes. And warm air just finds a way there. So it's um it's 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 not the year to go above normal there for sure. 
Yeah, so that's the basic setup across the Midwest as far as what we're projecting. Um, if you want to really see these charts, we do have a YouTube video um, of our recent webinar we had earlier on in the month. Um, you can check that out. I think it's uh, called Decoding the Winter Outlook for 2022-2023. Um, you can see all the charts that we made for that. Um, but I think Ken, that about wraps it up for the winter outlook, unless you have something to say here to, uh, no, I don't. I mean, I, I, I think, I think the themes, the themes are pretty prevalent, you know, uh, cold all the time, basically in the, in the upper plains and yeah. upper Midwest and Western great lakes, um, colder, early Eastern seaboard, uh, down to, down to DC. And, um, you know, it's going to be a busy season no matter what that, that, that's the one thing I think we can take away from this. Even if it's not excessively snowy, it's going to be busy. You're going to have work to do. It's not like no we're doubt. writing winter off entirely, no, but no. even in the places that are, uh, you know, a little bit below normal um, for snowfall and above normal in temperatures, you know, with those very cold days still creeping up, you know, something's going to go down in there. It's going to have to, <laughs> it's, it's going to have to, no doubt. But um, so that's it for our winter outlook. Um, we will have an update to this winter outlook uh, sometime in January, um, just to kind of give an idea of where we've been, where we're going. It's a little um, bit of a state of the union, so to speak, yeah, in, in, in a way. Yeah. And I think that's actually when the state of the union actually happens. It's like mid to late uh, January, I believe. Maybe we should rebrand it. Uh, I don't know about that, but... Um, state of the... Well, we can't I, call it state of the climate. That's yeah, what Noah has uh, that. Noah's yes. thing, yeah. No, but yeah, it's kind of like a, like you said, Mike, it's kind of like a, where where we've been, yeah. where we are short-term wise and where we still think we're going to go. And, go. And the, the crazy thing about that is at that point, it's only 60 days to March 15th, basically. So that's, that's you know, a little past halfway. Scary. Giddy up, as Kramer would say, if you're a Seinfeld fan. Uh, <laughs> well, Ken, thanks a lot for joining us on this podcast about the uh, winter outlook. Uh, I think you uh, really helped uh, outline everything uh, for our listeners out there. Pleasure to, as always, Mike. All right. And thanks to everyone for listening. Remember, we have a new podcast every two weeks here on the Weather Lounge. So also, please rate our podcast. That helps push our show forward, get it to more eyes or ears, I should say. And don't forget to visit the WeatherWorks social media channels and always weatherworksinc.com. Go visit there. That's all for this episode. Thanks again for listening. 